Masechet Yomad, Daf 53, uh, an absolutely fascinating uh, Daf today with some very, very interesting Agadot. Uh, we left the, the Kohen Gadol, going in chronological order, we left him putting the Ketoret onto the coals in Kodesh Kodeshim. And this follows the Pharisaic view um, that the Ketoret should be performed while inside the, the Kodesh Kodeshim, unlike the Sadducees who say that the Kohen Gadol puts the Ketoret on the coals outside before he goes in and then enters with the coals smoking with the Ketoret. Uh, we're gonna start off today seeing the derivation of each view. So we start, Tenora Banana Braita. So the Pasuk, this Pasuk 13, we have the Pasukim here, uh, says very clearly, uh, you can start, we have one Pasuk earlier, so you see the context that the Kohen Gadol takes the coals uh, from the Mizbeach, and uh, he takes his handfuls of the ketoret and he brings it mi bet la parochet, that's behind the curtain of the parochet in the Kodesh Kodashim. And once he's in there, venatan et ketoret that's where he puts it on the fire. Uh, and then evechas vechisa, we're gonna, this pasuk we're gonna um, derive a lot of things from. So it's worth reading slowly. So he puts it on and then vechisa on the ketoret et kaporet. The cloud made from the ketoret spices will fill the, the room, uh, it will fill the cover uh, and everything around it so that he not die. Idea is that he shouldn't see uh, directly the what's on top of the, on top of the, the Aron, the, uh, which is the Kaporet, that's where the Kiruvim are. Um, Hashem speaks to the prophets from between the Kiruvim, so that's the holiest spot. Uh, so it will fill all that area with uh, with the cloud of smoke. So you see, if you just read the Pesukim, Peshat, very clearly it says that first you go into the Kodesh Kodeshim and then you make the Ketoret. So uh, the Sadducees, uh, sorry, the Pharisees slash rabbis uh, say, seem to have it correctly. And uh, they say this Pasuk and this derivation um, is here to exclude the opinion the mind of the Sadokim, because they say the opposite, that you, uh, the Kohen Gadol, would perform it outside and then bring it in while it was already smoking. Now, very interestingly, the Braita asks, my darush, what's the source for the Sadokim? This is very unusual, right? A lot of times we'll have, uh, whatever, Betilel, Betshamai, what's his source, what's the other source? But for the, for the rabbis, the Tanaim, to look for the source for the Sadokim uh, is uh, quite, quite interesting. It's at least a... Uh, uh, a recognition that the Sadokim do follow the, or try to follow their understanding of the of the Torah. Uh, so we'll see what we'll see how they interpret it, and then we'll see how the rabbis um, uh, uh, deflect their proof. So my darush ki be'anan erae al hakaporet melamed sheyetaken mebachus ve'yachnis. So they're going to quote a different pasuk, the one in the beginning of the chapter, verse two. Um, here it says. Uh, Aaron cannot come any time into the Kodesh, inside the Paroch, into the Kodesh Kodeshim, so that he not die. Uh, rather, this, so this key is a bit ambiguous, it could be understood in multiple ways. The Sadducees are understanding it as he should not come any time. Key meaning uh, rather only rather only come in with a with a cloud. So you see coming in with a cloud, that means you have to make the cloud earlier before you come in and then you enter with the cloud. Uh, otherwise he's gonna enter um, empty handed with no cloud and he will uh, be there and see the into the Kodesh Kodeshim and that will be a problem. So um, it seems that uh, they have a, a point also with this Pasuk um, that you know God is there in the Kodesh Kodeshim and uh, he has to come in with a cloud smoke already. Uh, how can the rabbis deflect this? This word key, I think that the rabbis can understand it in a different way as because, don't come in any time because I will be seen there in a cloud. In other words, according to the rabbis, the, the presence, the manifestation of God is the cloud itself. Um, so that when he comes in beforehand, there's kind of nothing there, it's okay. And then he creates the cloud 
Um, and so, so because I'm in the cloud, don't come in at any time, come in only, right, uh, after you do the, the continuation, the parben bakal, the chatat, ayle olah, you do all the Yom Kippur service only on that day when you have all these things done, then you can come in, right, because I'm going to be in the cloud. So for the, for the rabbis, it's that the cloud itself is a, is, is a manifestation of God, and therefore wouldn't make any sense to make it outside and bring it in. According to the Sadducees, it's don't come in because I'm there. Rather, make a smoke screen. So for them, the cloud is not a manifestation of God, but rather a smoke screen so that you don't see God. Uh, so it's really quite opposite and very different philosophical views that um, are behind these two opinions. Okay, anyway, that's their proof from Ki Be'anan. So now, Chachamim Chachamim say, okay, what are you going to find? You have Pasuk, pasuk Bet. Uh, so that's a reasonable way to read Pasuk Bet. But what about Pasuk Yud Gimel, the one that we quoted the first? And that is clear that that's talking about the order. And it says, only if when, after you go in, then you put the Ketorot on the coals. So, so the Sadducees could say back, okay, then what do you do with Kibe'anan? It has to be in a cloud. I gave my interpretation before, uh, which uh, I think is the, is the Peshat. But um, the rabbis here give a different answer. Teaches that even according to the rabbis, there's another ingredient besides all the ketoret spices, the ones that we read every day. There's another one called Malay Ashan. That's a special herb that you put it on and it just creates smoke. And that, the rabbis agree, is done outside of Kodesh Kodashim, right? So according to the rabbis, he gets the, the pan, right? And he's walking with it. And then before he goes in, he just puts one herb, Malay Ashan, he creates a smoke. And then he goes in with a smoke screen. So the rabbis are agreeing to the Sadduc- with the Sadducees in that one aspect that they should come in with a smoke screen. And only then, uh, when he's inside, then he puts the ketoret. And the ketoret, that's the main service. And that's, um, but that only does, is, is done inside. And the rabbis learn, how do they know that you should have a smoke screen? Well, the truth is we already had a, a quote from Pasuk Bet. Um, and now it's going but now ask strangely again, and how do you know that you have, you should have the uh, smoke riser? And it quotes the second part of Pasuk Yud Gimel, uh, vechisa that is going to uh, um, uh, it's going to cover everything. So uh, the Gemara will ask in a second, why do you need two pesukim to quote to prove the same thing that you need the smoke riser herb? Okay, anyway, therefore, if you did not put this malay ashan herb, or if you missed any other of the ingredients of the ketoret, chayav mita. And we learn that from these pesukim because it says, right, don't come in any time or else, right, below yamut. So it means if you do come in improperly, then yamut. All right, so that's the, that's the b'raita. Now we're going to analyze it. Why do you need a separate, uh, some, a separate pasuk to teach me that if I come in to, if the Kohen Gadol comes in uh, improperly, if he's missing an ingredient, there's chayab mita. You could just learn it from the fact that he's going in for no purpose. If the Kohen Gadol or anyone goes into Kodesh Kodashim for no purpose, that itself is Chayav Mita. Forget that you're doing the Ketoret the wrong way. If you do the Ketoret the wrong way, you didn't do Ketoret, and then therefore you came in for no purpose. So that by itself would be Chayav Mita. You don't need another law. So we're going to have a couple of answers to this. So I'm at a case where the Perth, the Kohen Gadol, came, went in unawares. I mean, I assume he knows where, knows where he's going, but maybe he was unaware that it was prohibited, that, it's, that there was a punishment for going in uh, with, with, uh, without preparation for no reason. So he's not going to get mitah for the entering, but he knew that he was missing uh, an ingredient and he went in anyway, and he was, that was mezid, and he knew that was chayab mitah. So there is a case where you could be um, for going in, and yes, for doing the ketoret improperly. That's one answer. I can even tell you another case where he was mezid. He knew that he's not allowed to go in for no reason, and he knew he was doing ketoret improperly. Maybe brought in two ketorets. Like, um, you know, he, when he entered, he also brought the other, the regular ketoret that you do every morning. So, and he did that properly. So therefore, he came in 
properly, so he's not chayav mitah for entering uh, the Kodesh, and the other one was improper, so he's only going to get chayav mitah for the improper ser- uh, uh, serving of the ketoreth. So on entering, he's not chayav because he did, in fact, bring in a perfectly fine ketoret, one of them. But the other ketoret, since it was missing, he would be chayav mitah for that. Okay, so those are the, we have two answers to that question. Now, going back, Amal Mor in the Braita, now this is going on the double proof, right? We proved it once from Pasuk Bet, Anan, and then it said, and how do you know? Bechisa. Well, are you bringing a proof from one Pasuk to, to support another Pasuk? You already have one. Why any both? So we're going to have a couple of answers to this. If I only had one Pasuk, I would only know that I bring the leaf of the smoke rising plant. How about, how do I know that I have to bring also the root of the smoke riser plant? So that's why I have two pizukim that I should uh, bring the, the, the leaf and the root and burn both of them. That's Rabbi Yosef. Wait a minute, it should be the opposite. You're, you're assuming that the, 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 the leaf is more, uh, has, is more um, impactful than the root, and you need a second pasuk to teach me the root. But look at the story, the Tanya. If you just put the root, that by itself will make the uh, smoke rise like, uh, like a column all the way up until it gets to the roof. And then once it gets to the roof, it spreads out over the ceiling and it comes right down on the walls and the whole room is going to be full of smoke. This is very interesting. It's quoting Pasuk in Yeshaya. Yeshaya is not, is not talking about Ketoreth. He's talking about his great vision, right, of the God on the throne and every, all the angels and everything. And so this is quite interesting that it's quoting this pasuk in this regard because it has nothing to do with incense. Rather, um, it's clear that the rabbis are uh, looking to the vision of, vision of Yeshaya as a model, right? He sees that in the vision when he sees uh, God in heaven, but we are actually recreating that on earth. So even the pasuk, the pasuk only said, you should make a smoke so that the smoke will cover the kaporet. Um, uh, but now this Baraita says, it will co- make... Uh, it'll, it will fill up the whole room. This whole room idea comes from Yeshaya. So this whole room is God's uh, throne room and therefore all needs to be filled. Okay, the point uh, for us is that all he did was put the root and the root by itself is, is uh, the most impactful part. So it should be the opposite. So Abaye switches the order from Rav Yosef and says, if I only one pasuk, I would know the root. And second pasuk comes to teach me that also the leaf add, add a little more. It's even better. Okay. So another answer altogether. Why do I need two pasukim to teach me that I need the smoke riser? Uh, that if I only had one pasuk, I would know that they did it in Olmoed, in the desert. That's the context that the Torah is talking about. How would I know in the future, in the Mishkan and Shiloh, and the first and second Metam Mikdash? That's why I have another Pasuk to teach me that. So the Gemara rejects this, because the Pasuk at the end, in Vayikra 16.16, Acharemot, it says, you're going to do this, um, so you do this uh, when it dwells within you. In other words, forever, not only in the desert, but uh, wherever the Shekhinah is. So that would include Shiloh and Betamikdash as well. So you don't need a second Pasuk for that. We know every the whole Yom Kippur service you're going to do forever. Oh, so if I only had one Pasuk, I would know that on Yom Kippur you have to bring it. How about the rest of the days? Every day we bring a Ketoret. The second pasuk comes to teach that yes, every day you should bring the smoke riser. Um, it wouldn't be, it won't be in the kodesh kodeshim, but rather in the kodesh on the mizbacha ketoret. That also should be filled with smoke. 
Okay, so that is necessary. Yet another answer. I need one pasuk to tell me that it's a misvah to do the second one to tell me that even bidi avad, if I forgot to put the smoke riser, the whole thing is no good, right? So it's an absolutely, and not only is it a positive mitzvah, it's an absolutely necessary, indispensable part of the mitzvah. We saw this a couple of times already that when you have a pasuk that says something twice, the second one comes to teach me that it's indispensable. And finally, you know why I need two pasukim? One is the warning, and one is the, is the punishment. In general, whenever you have uh, Torah gives a punishment and says this is going to be Hayamita, you need another pasuk beforehand. In this case, it's actually afterwards, but it doesn't matter. Um, you need another, a second pasuk to teach me that uh, a warning, right? Because you don't punish someone unless you warn them first. So Torah needs to say it twice. I have to say it's not allowed. And then another time to say the punishments. A good example of this is the all the arayot that are found twice in Sefer Vayikra. Um, and uh, one time it just says, these are all the things that are not allowed. The other ones it says, these are the, uh, the uh, as punishments. So that's a good example of it adding punishments. Okay, um, if you look at the order here, interestingly, Rava is before Rav Ashe. Rava's fourth generation, Rav Ashe is sixth generation. Why is it called Rav Ashe first? And then Rava, I think it's because this theme of Onish and Azara is gonna continue with the next uh, section. And so therefore it's quoting it last so that we can go right into the further discussion about it. So Tanya. So we can look at this in the Pasuk, this Pasuk Bet, right? Don't come in any time. Uh, right? So that clearly is the punishment. And then make sure to bring in Anan, make sure to do the smoke riser, right? That is the warning, right? So even though it's out of order, he has to say that because is clearly the punishment. Okay, so put, put them back to back. And so we have both, that's fine. Now, <clears throat> question regarding B'nai Haron. B'nai Haron, uh, uh, seemingly, this, is their, this was what they did, right? They, they did something wrong in, uh, in terms of they're bringing the, the Ketoret. And so that's why they got Chayab Mita. Now, the question is, when was this warning and punishment issued? So the beginning of this Pasuk says, Right, uh, sorry, the pasuk, first pasuk says, and then it brings this. So, were these both of, were both of these said to Moshe and taught to the people before, uh, before the story of Aharon? Right, we're not here. The, the, uh, the story of, of, of Aharon happened back in uh, Parashat Shemini, uh, in chapter uh, nine. So, this whole thing happened way before. Okay, so can it be that this was all before? No, it can't be because it says, so then Hashem told Moshe and told him this, you know, told him this law. So it can't be that it was all before. Um, so maybe both the warning and the punishment were said after Aaron died. No, this pasuk is using a future tense. I will be seen in a cloud. So it didn't happen. That means it didn't happen yet. So this has to must have been talking about before Yom HaShemini, uh, because on Yom HaShemini, God is seen in Ohel Moed. So this must have been before. So in fact, it's clear that the warning was given before the story of, the, of Ben Aaron, and the punishment was said after, and that's why they're both here. Uh, this one drags the other along, but the, uh, one of them is not in chronological order. Matamuda wants to clarify. How did we know this? That one is before. Since it says God, I will, I will be seen. That means it must have been given at a time when it wasn't. God was not seen yet, and that's before the story. Uh, before Yom Hashemini, before the story of the death of Nadav and Abihu. So now the question is, then why were they punished? If the penalty has not had not been given yet, then how could they be punished, right? We, again, we said, right, um, you cannot allow to punish unless first you give the warning and say what the punishment is. Uh, in fact, anytime you have two witnesses and they see someone do, committing a crime, they have to say, do you know this is not allowed? Do you know if you do this, then you're, then you're going to be chayav this and that? And they have to say, yes, we know, and we're still going to do it. Only then can one give punishment. Uh, so uh, not only in practice, but also in the Torah's retelling of it, um, there has to be both of these before 
any story in the Torah where someone gets the death penalty. So therefore, since both are not before, it can't be that Nadav and Avihu died because of this sin that they missed bringing the, the uh, Ma'ale Ashan. So rather, there must be something else. It's rather, their sin was a different one that they taught a halacha in front of their teacher, Moshe. And uh, one is not allowed to do that. My darush, where do you see that? Says So the halacha that they taught was in fact the true halacha, and the halacha is that. And Vaikra one says that Adon should put fire on the Mizbeach. And that teaches that even though fire comes down from heaven, nevertheless, it's a Mizbeach that the humans should also bring fire. It's a true halacha, but they said it themselves without conferring with Moshe first. And that was their sin. Okay, this is a bit of a derasha, but only a bit of a derasha, because if you look at the Pesukim themselves, you see that. In fact, in the Peshat, it says, you know, Moshe and Haron, they do everything that they're supposed to on Yom HaShemini, and God's presence right, came, and the fire came down from before God and consumed the, uh, the offerings. And everybody, everybody saw and fell on their faces. So in other words, everything was done successfully as was, as was planned. And the next Pasuk is, now, Nadavanavidu uh, are doing their own thing. Who asked them to do anything, right? We had, you know, we had a good conclusion. Everything was done. They wanted to kind of steal the show. And so they brought Esh Sada, and this is Vatese Esh, Mifnadonai. The same words as before, but now instead of consuming the, the Korbanot, it consumes them. So you see that the, uh, the rabbis have a good point here. Um, in, uh, in pointing out their, uh, uh, putting themselves forward uh, in front of Moshe, and that was uh, the essence of their sin, according to this interpretation. And so that solves the problem before. Um, but so even though the Malay Ashan does not have to do with their particular sin, we do learn that Malay Ashan is necessary, and that we have the, uh, the warning and the punishment for it. Okay, good. Now, um, next halacha altogether, next part of the Mishnah says, After the Kungun Gadol puts the Ketorot on the coals, he leaves, and when he leaves, he goes out the same way that he entered. Now, I think the Mishnah, the Peshat, is saying something simple, that he goes the same path. Remember, he has to go, you know, he'll go back to the curtain, and then he'll make a left turn, and he'll go to the entrance, the exit of the curtain, go through the curtains, come out of the south uh, part, and then he, then he has to go outside. So in other words, don't take a different path, take the same path. But the Gemara is going to learn something in addition to that, besides the, just the path, that he has to walk backwards. Uh, so how do we know that? Okay, what we're going to see here is that we're going to learn the general law, you know, like what we do now when you leave a Bet Knesset, uh, right, you don't you don't just walk out. You walk uh, to, to to the side, right? You you face the Adon, walk out backwards. If you look, you see many people do this. Uh, sometimes I see at the Kotel, people walk when they're leaving the Kotel, they walk backwards all the way up the ramp until they're uh, until they're back on the on the big upper plaza. Um, so that's this is a halacha, and this is where we learn it from. So that we learn it from Shilomo. Um, this is a pasuk in Divrei Amim. The pasuk is very curious. It's very actually hard to read. That sounds like Shalomo came to the Bama, is a high place where, you, where people made sacrifices. That was in Givon. And then it says Yerushalayim. What do you mean Yerushalayim? Was he, did he go to Givon or Yerushalayim? He came from Yerushalayim. So, so maybe it means Yerushalayim. If you just had those words, he would come Yerushalayim. So that's how we're, we're, they're reading it. That Shalomo from the Bama, even though it says La Bama, make believe it says Meha Bama, Shabigivon, and he went to Yerushalayim. So the Gemara is puzzled by this Pasuk, as they should be. What's the point? What's the connection between Givon and Yerushalayim? Why would it put Yerushalayim? If you're saying he came to Yerushalayim, why are you sticking Givon in there? So you see that the Pasuk is combining into one his journey there and his journey on the way back. So his leaving from Yerushalayim was like 
his entrance from Yerushalayim to Givon. So just like um, when uh, during his uh, his trip there from Yerushalayim to Givon, he was facing forwards, meaning facing the Bama in Givon. That's where he's going. He's going to make sacrifices there. So too, when he leaves Givon, he's going to back to Yerushalayim, he's facing the Bama in Givon and walking backwards. Does this mean he walked backwards the entire journey? Uh, probably not. At least he walked backwards some of the way uh, out of respect to the Bama until it was out of sight. And then he went to Yerushalayim. So we learned from here that so too the Kohen Gadol, when he leaves the Kodesh Kodeshim, should walk backwards outside until he gets outside um, and that's proper respect for, for the uh, Kodesh Kodeshim, uh, for the Shekhinah that's in there. Okay, now this is um, a very curious uh, uh, way of learning this, these, reading these Pesukim, because um, in the Amim, it just has a very short version. In Sefer Malachim, you see the full version of the story. And here, uh, the, you see the context. Where that says, Shlomo followed all the right laws correctly, like did his father. Except for one thing that he did that was incorrect. He was giving sacrifices on the Bamot, right? On those high places. And so that's a negative thing. And the next Pasuk says, He went to Givon. And to sacrifice there, and he made a thousand. That sounds like quite quite a lot. Um, so he made a thousand sacrifices there. And there he has a dream. You know the whole dream. Hashem says, "Ask anything you want." He says, "I want wisdom." He says, "Fine, but listen, always follow the laws of the Torah." The middle. So the middle part sounds like he's God is emphasizing follow the Torah, right? And um, then he wakes up and he vayavo Yerushalayim. This is relevant to us. So you notice the Aaron is in Yerushalayim. Uh, this is very important. So he goes back to Yerushalayim, where in front of the Aaron, and he makes another, uh, more, more sacrifices there. So what you see here is that the going to the Bama in Givon doesn't seem to be, have been the correct thing to do. Rather, right, he left, he left Yerushalayim, left the Aaron to do this Bamot, which is incorrect, he has a dream and says, okay, God, give me wisdom. And right after that, he does the correct thing, which is go to the Adon and make some sacrifices there. You don't mean that you need to make a thousand on a huge uh, Bama, right? Rather, this is the most proper. Okay, so now the Divrei Amim skips most of this, all this story. Um, and instead just has, and then Yerushalayim. The confusion of this Pasuk seems to be that Divrei Amim is taking the Pasuk in Melachim and saying, Vayavo Yerushalayim, see, Vayavo Yerushalayim, Vayavo Yerushalayim, and inserting it, Labama Asher Begivon, like inserting the whole story before, just in three words, but coming to Yerushalayim. It's almost as if the Ramim, which often does, skips any neg- anything negative about David and Shalomo, um, is skipped in the Ramim. And so this whole story about the Bamot is skipped. Okay, now why is this so interesting to me? Because look what, look what happened. According to this Midrash, uh, Shlomo went from Yerushalayim, left the Aron, went to the Bama, made sacrifices there, and then walked backwards with his face to the Bama, his back to the Aron. This is mind-blowing, right? This is the exact opposite of what you should do. That We're learning from here, you should have your face towards the Aron, the Kohen Gadol, but here Shlomo had his back to the Aron. He was really facing the wrong way the whole time. This whole story is actually quite negative about him. And yet the Gemara is, is using this as a source for the Kohen Gadol to have his face towards the Adon. So I don't know what to make of this. Um, uh, maybe, the, the, maybe the rabbis are assuming that everything Shalomot did was correct. And yes, the Bama is supposed to be there uh, before the Bet HaMikdash was built, so it's okay, or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, I have a suggestion, only a suggestion. If you don't like it, maybe believe I didn't say anything, um, which is that maybe the rabbis are, you see before that they had a, talking about a tension between the, the Sadducees and the rabbis. Sadducees are the Kohanim who did things wrong, the wrong way. It's true, they were in the Bet HaMikdash and all that, but they did things the wrong way that was all negative. They were Chayab Mita, really, because they, they did it the wrong way. Um, and so there is tension between the rabbis and the Kohanim. Maybe, just maybe, the, the rabbis are quoting Shalomo, who did the wrong thing, right? Who is putting his face towards the, towards the Korbanot and his back towards the Adon. 
as a subtle criticism of those Kohanim who were corrupt and who were doing the wrong thing. They had their face only towards the things in the Bet HaMikdash and they're back to the Aron, meaning they're back to the rabbis who taught them what the Torah is supposed to mean. So they, uh, the, these Kohanim who are doing this, of course, they're saying, yes, it's proper when a good Kohen is doing it to always uh, be facing the Aron. But the point of bringing uh, Shilamah maybe subtle, maybe it's too subtle, um, is a subtle criticism of Kohanim who are not paying attention to the Torah, the Aron, as taught by the rabbis. Okay, that's my thesis. I have a little bit more proof coming up, uh, so keep this in mind. Now, so too, anytime you have Kohanim Levim or Yisrael, everybody takes a turn that they will serve, even Yisrael come and, be, and they're the designated audience and they say prayers during the Avodah. Whenever they finish and they leave, they should not walk out, but rather they should put, they should walk out backwards and they could turn their head to the side so they see where they're going. They don't have to bump into anything, but uh, their face is backwards, even though their face is turned. And now look what the Gemara says. Not only do we, is this true in the Bet HaMikdash, when the teacher as, as leaving, when the student is leaving, from before the presence of his teacher, he should not turn around and turn his back on his teacher and walk out, but rather he should walk out backwards and only turn his face and go out. So I think this is fascinating that the rabbis are making this connection and saying, we learn, you know what we learned from the Kohen? To do this with one's teacher, right? With one's rabbi. And that's the, that's the real, you know, that's the, it's an equivalent, um, right? Leaving the Aron is like leaving one's teacher who teaches them, who teaches a person what's in the Aron, what's in the Torah. Uh, so you see, again, once again, the rabbis are emphasizing the, uh, the, the prominence of knowledge and teaching of Torah, um, up, raising it up to the level of Kohanim. And I think over here, even saying Kohanim, who are doing the wrong thing, like Bamot, is actually the opposite, the wrong way. They're facing the wrong way. They're not facing the Adon. Here's some examples. When Rabbi El-Azad would leave um, from before the presence of Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi El-Azad is a student. Now it can happen both ways. Either the teacher could leave first or the student could leave first. So let's say the teacher left first. So when Yochanan, the teacher left, Rabbi El-Azad would bow down and uh, stay in his place. He, he wouldn't leave out of humility. Until Rabbi Yochanan disappeared from his sight and then Rabbi El-Azad would go, uh, go uh, uh, on his way. When Rabbi El-Azad wanted to leave first, he would walk um, backwards until he could no longer even see the Biochanan. Another example, Rav Yosef is the famous uh, Amorah who was blind. Now Rav, when he left before him, he would walk backwards. Apparently, Ravad didn't, didn't get the message that you could look backwards to see where you're going. He would just go backwards and he wouldn't see where he was going. And he would bump his feet on the threshold and the door in the doorway until that day was all bloody because every time he left, he would keep bumping into them and he developed wounds and uh, there was blood on the threshold. So this is kind of like a, a, a kind of a, a strange uh, story, but it's uh, showing the extent to which Abaye would have, sorry, Dava would have absolute uh, deference and humility and walk backwards, even though it, it hurt him every time. Okay, I don't know if it's saying that you should really, uh, you know, wound yourself, but right, it's giving an extreme example. Now, Rav Yosef was blind, so Rav Yosef never saw what was happening, and Rav just did it out of out of respect, even though Rav Yosef didn't see. So one day, some people told Rav Yosef, you know, by the way, Rav does this, and he bangs his feet every time walking backwards. So Rav Yosef appreciated and said, right, may. Uh, uh, may be God's will that you lift your head over the city. In other words, you should become uh, Rosh Yeshiva, uh, the head of the city, a teacher for everybody. 
Okay, that's a beautiful story. Now we learn yet another thing from this. Besides, if you're in the Beit Hamikdash and you leave, you go backwards, and also uh, before your rabbi, but also was well, something that we do all the time when we pray the Amidah. Amada be Alexandri, Amada be Yeshua ben Levi, Amit Pelel, Sadich Sheyafsiya Shalos Pesiot La Ahora Vacharkach Yiten Shalom. Someone who's praying. After when, when you're done at the end of the Amidah, you should walk three steps backwards and then you should say hello, shalom. You should say shalom. Now, who are you saying shalom to? Uh, it could be that you're saying shalom to the other people around you. We have a, a Syrian custom to that in the beginning, you kind of greet everybody. But this is saying, saying shalom at the end, kind of you left the presence of uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu, and now you're back to society. So you greet the people around you. Or it could be saying shalom to the to the to the shekhinah. Uh, so either way, we do this by saying shalom shalom. So right, that's how we say shalom, um, which is actually a call for peace both in heaven and on earth to those around us. So it fills both. Uh, I'm going to show you that this Rab Mordechai is not actually an Amora, but rather a later Gaon. And his statement got stuck into the Gemara suspiciously, uh, but I'll prove it in a second. He adds to this, This is after you go three steps backwards at the end of the Amidah, you should stay there. Um, don't run just those three steps back and then run away. Sometimes I see teenagers, they three steps back and then they're off on their way. That's disrespectful. Shows you never really wanted to be there. Rather stay there. How long do you have to stay there? When we're praying with the Minyan, we have a custom that we stay, take three steps back and we stay there until the beginning of the Chazara, right? Until the Kedusha. Then, then we take three steps forward to, for the Kedusha. If you're praying by yourself, then just stay there for right a, a little while. Uh, just, you know, uh, 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 gather, gather yourself together and then, and then you walk away. Okay. It's like, uh, similar to a student who leaves his teacher, he goes, walks backwards, right? All respectful. If he just goes immediately and uh, comes back, uh, this is like a dog returning to its vomit. It, it eats something it doesn't like, vomits it, then it goes and licks it. Disgusting. Why? What did, did you want to leave it? Did you want to get rid of it? Or do you like it? So this is, you're saying contradictory messages. So too, if someone goes, takes three steps back and then immediately returns, the contradiction means you didn't really have a sense of the space around you that you were before Shekhinah and then you left Shekhinah. You wait a, a while and then it resets everything. Okay, then if you want to walk back, then you walk back after that. Okay, good. We have a Braita that supports this. What does it support? Pay attention to what, what it's about to support. You should go three steps back and then you say, and then say, and then say shalom. If you didn't do that, better not to have prayed at all. Amazing thing, right? Better not to have prayed. Yeah, I guess it shows if during while you were there, if you take three, if you don't take three steps back and say shalom, it means that during the Amidah, you didn't recognize you were in holy space. You were before divine Shekhinah. So if you didn't realize that the whole time, better not to have prayed at all. So it's really the rich, that ritual at the end that shows one with, one was having proper kavanah. Okay, now this Baraita is supporting the idea that you should take three steps back and say shalom. When did we say that? Up here, that's what, that's what Rabbi Alexandri said. Three steps back and then say, then say shalom. After that, Amodechai said, after that, when you take three steps back, you should wait there a little while. Usually, if you have Tanya Mehachi, it's a Braita supporting the last thing said. The Braita does not support what Ramot Rodechai said. Rather, it supports what Rabbi Alexandri says. So this makes, you see that Ramot Rodechai's statement is suspicious, right? Because it doesn't, right? the Braita goes on what Rabbi Alexandri says. And in fact, if we look at the manuscripts, you'll see something very interesting. This is a statement of Amar Rab Mordechai. It's found in the Vilna printed edition. It's also found in, in the Venice first edition. Um, and it's missing in almost all the manuscripts. It's only found in this British manuscript, but there it's in, it's in uh, brackets. That means it was added in later. It was not part of the original manuscript. It's also in one Yemenite manuscript, which was written in around 1700 after printing. So this is clearly influenced by the printing. The other Yemenite manuscripts, the Geniza fragments, the Sephardic uh, uh, um, uh, manuscripts do not have this line. 
So this line actually does not belong in the Gemara. It's a comment by a Gaon named Ramor Dechai, who is adding another halacha. When you take three suspects, also wait there. Okay, very nice halacha, and we should follow it. But it's not actually part of the Gemara. When you take, if you take it out, then Rabbi Alexander's statement flows easily into the into the Braita that proves it. Okay, so that's super interesting. Now, someone was asking about the right hand uh, yesterday and the importance of it. So Shemaya, as in you know, Shemaya of Talion, said that when you greet, you should greet to the right side first and then the left side. Or uh, see the greeting here sounds like you're you're greeting or rather taking your leave from. The Shekhinah, so God's right hand, Mimino, God holds the Torah, his, his, the law, in his right hand. So the right hand is more important. And it also says another Pasuk in Tehilim that when God fights, a thousand will fall at your side, or when a hero fights, when God fights, uh, a, hero, a thousand will fall on one side and 10,000 on the right side. So you see 10,000, the right side is much more powerful than the left side. So therefore, we should take leave of the, the right side is more important. So now, my Omed, why does uh, Braita bring two Pesukim? Shemach Shemai have to bring two Pesukim from Devarim and from Tehilim. If you only had the one in Devarim, you might say, that's just the way most people usually, if they're carrying something, they carry it in the right hand. So God's carrying the law. It's in his right hand. That doesn't mean anything. That's what everybody does. Tashema, Therefore, the pasuk comes and gives a comparison and says one side, meaning the left is a thousand, the right side is 10,000. So the right side is certainly more significant and therefore one should bow to the right side, towards the right side. We'll see in a second what that means. Rava saw his colleague Abaye that when he finished Amida, he would bow first to the right side, meaning to Abaye's right. Rava corrects him, says not your right, it should be your left to have a because that's God's right. God's right is the most more important. Therefore, you should bow to the left, which is God's right. Furthermore, about Rava and Abaye, um, that when they went back, they bowed once and then walked back and went this way and that way while bowing, rather than that what they didn't do is, uh, you know, bow, take a step, bow, take another step, and then bow again. Rather, all the steps are done in one bowing. Okay, so this is where we learn all of the halachot that we uh, use all the time when we say the Amida. All right, now we get to the next part of the Ibarayim. So then the Kohen Gadol would say a short prayer um, outside. Now, after he did the Ketorot, he would go out to the uh, Kodesh and say the prayer there. What did he pray? One chance he has to, you know, Kodesh, uh, on, on Yom Kippur, after he just went to the Kodesh Kodeshim, what does he pray? That it should be a year of rain and heat. Wait, is that good? That should be hot? Rather, scratch that. What he meant to say is, if it's going to be very hot, let it be rainy. If it's very hot, you need even more rain so the crops won't dry out. So basically, they're praying for uh, economic prosperity, uh, a good rain. Uh, and furthermore, they add, added more uh, things that he would pray. They prayed that the, the, uh, the house of Judah should not depart from being ruling, have the power over Israel, that the king, kingship, the dynasty should always be from them. And uh, Israel should not require uh, that they the uh, uh, sustenance from each other. People shouldn't be so poor that they have to rely on each other. And also, do not listen to the tefillah of people who are traveling. This is quite amazing. The, the Kohen Gadol is actually praying an anti-prayer. The people that are traveling are going to pray for no rain. Because it's very hard. You don't want it to rain when uh, in the middle while they're traveling. So they would actually, so the Kohen Gadol would have to make a prayer to say, don't listen to the prayers of the travelers, even though it's going to be hard for them to travel while it's raining. For the greater good, the farmers need rain. So don't listen to them. 
Okay, so that's all the prayers I would say. But they were all in Hebrew, except for this one about the uh, about Yehuda, which was in Aramaic. Uh, I guess that was uh, from a different source. Anyway, that's interesting. Now we have a, a funny story. Rabbi Chanina, a great sage from the first, from the second Beit Hamikdash times, he was traveling. It started raining while he's traveling, uh, so he wasn't happy about that. So he praises everybody's happy, everybody's okay, they're comfortable because they're home and they're farmers and they like the rain, and I should be suffering? Is that fair that everybody should be happy except for me? So God listened to the prayer and stopped all the rain. When he got home, he said another prayer. God, is it fair that everybody should be suffering because they have no rain and they're farmers and I should be okay? That's not fair, I'm, right? Not everybody's suffering. Atamitra. That's so it started raining again. So to be Chaninai, was such a sadiq, he could like turn a, a turn on the rain and off like a switch with his prayers. Amarav Yosef, Yosef said, wow, look how amazing the effect is of the Kohen Gadol regard, as a, a, a compared to Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa. In other words, no effect. Even though the Kohen Gadol says, don't listen to the travelers, Rabbi Chanina ben Dosa is so great that even though he's a traveler, God listens to his prayer and not the prayer of the Kohen Gadol. Okay, this is a fascinating story to sum up the theme that I've been building this whole time. There's actually a power struggle here between the great sage and the Kohen Gadol. And even though the Kohen Gadol, that one prayer, he says, don't listen to the travelers. Nevertheless, the prayer of the, of the sage, of the rabbi, wins out. And so I think this is another, another uh, a stage um, another example of the of that struggle, and the rabbis once again saying it's the power of Torah over the power of Kehuna. And uh, last, but before the Mishnah, so one time the Gadol was going very long in his tefillah, and the rabbis uh, went in to uh, see what happened to him. Uh, they started going in. What happened to him? Uh, they were worried. As they started going in, Kohen Gadol went out, came out. He was fine. They asked him, Why, how come you prayed so long? What, do you have a problem? I was praying a long time because I was praying for you. I was praying for the Beit HaMikdash. It shouldn't be destroyed. I guess there was already a threat from Romans. Problems happening. This is all right, but don't do that again, right? Don't do that on a regular basis because we say in the Mishnah taught that he would not say a long prayer so that people would not be afraid. After all, we just saw above that the Kohen Gadol misses one ingredient, he does something wrong, and then he'll be Chayamita. So uh, that's why everybody's afraid. So therefore, it's more important not to keep everybody in suspense, that they should not be fearful, then that you should have a long prayer. Just make it short and sweet and get out. Okay, let's begin the next Mishnah. Mishenital Aron, Even Haita Shama Mimot Nevi'im Rishonim, Ushetia Haita Nikret. So when the Aron used to be there, the Aron was right in the Kodesh Kodeshim. When the Aron was taken away, the Gemara will notice this language of taken away rather than Nignaz, which we saw yesterday, uh, that it was hidden away. Um, so when there was no more Aron, uh, there was instead the foundation stone. Um, it was there from the early Nevi'im. It was called Shitiya, which seems to mean, mean foundation. Three finger breasts higher than the rest of the ground. That's how you could tell that demarcation. And the Kohen Gadol would take the coals, the pan of coals, and put it there on the foundation stone. Natal, this is a view, by the way, now, if, uh, if, you, go, if you would go in the Dome of the Rock, this is what you would see. Um, under that under that golden dome. Remember the guy outside is on the fourth step. He's still stirring the blood of the pod. So the Kohen Gadol goes out and gets that blood. And so he goes to the place where he was. It doesn't say the whole thing again of exactly where he was. I think it keeps it ambiguous so that, you know, it, when there was an Adon there, he would go to the place of that Adon. When there's no Adon, he went to the, that place. That would the Aaron would have been the same place he was that was there before when he did where, where he did the ketoret, and he sprinkled one up and seven down. This means it is not up, not up or down because they're all going on the floor. Rather, one up means underhand, right? He throw it up and seven overhand, meaning he would sprinkle them down. 
ולא מי מתכוון לעזות או למעלה ולא למטה, אלא כמסליף. And the point is not that anyone are going higher or lower, but rather מסליף means someone who's doing the whipping. Um, when the time, when they, when they had, uh, you know, official lashes, and someone gets lashes on their back, the lashes they would, they would start from the top of the back and go down, right, all in order, one, two, three, four, five, six. And so too, the uh, sprinkling should be in that order. So here's one uh, underhand, that's the one that's up, and put one, that would be one spot on the floor, and then seven times down, eight altogether, which is a good, a nice bidit number. Uh, remember the bidit on Yom Kippur. And uh, so it goes straight down the line, like, the, like, on, uh, like someone who uh, was being whipped. Interesting, that's comparing it to something being whipped. Maybe this is kind of atonement, kind of like punishment. Um, and he would count. When he's done with the blood of the pad, he goes and puts it back on the uh, pedestal that's in the sanctuary. So now he's done with the pad. Now he has to go bring the sa'ir. This is, remember the two sa'irim? One of, one, one, of, one of them is with Hashem. That's the one he's going to go get. Remember he had them facing, they were waiting there uh, patiently this whole time. On the sa'ir, that's And he collects it in a cup. Uh, apparently here he, he does both and he can finish it off. The goat is, is smaller, easier to, uh, to, to slaughter than the, than, uh, than the bull. Um, and he takes that in his right hand. He takes that and he goes in back into Kodesh Kodeshim, the same place he was before. And so he does the same sprinkling with the blood of the goat. Same thing. And he goes and places it on the second pedestal that was out in the Kodesh. So here you go, here's one pedestal, and then he would do the Shechita, and then he would go back in, and after he sprinkled, he would put it on the second pedestal. According to Tanakama, there were two pedestals in there. However, the Biyodahomer, So since there was only, according to him, there was only one pedestal, that would mean that he had, he's holding those Sa'id that he just, now he has to switch. So he puts it down, and so he, sorry, first he takes the pod, he's holding both, he puts down the blood of the Sa'id. And he needs the pod again, because now he's going to sprinkle it on the parochet, or towards the parochet. So when, once he switches the, the two, um, he takes it, and uh, even though it says he puts it on the kapodit, apparently he doesn't put it on it, but rather towards it on the floor. And he does one and then another seven when the same, uh, same style, uh, but this time he's in the Kodesh, facing the Kodesh Kodeshim, right? This is the current separating the two. Um, and then he's going to go and take the Dama Sa'ir. You see, this phrase is following the Biyudah, that there was only one pedestal. He's holding the Dama of the Pad. He takes the Dama of the Sa'ir, and then he puts down the Dama of the Pad, because only one pedestal, and then he does the same thing. Um, with the Dama Sa'ir, and after he does both of those sprinklings, then he's actually going to mix them together. Um, and he, he mixes it once, and then he puts the full into the empty to mix it back again so that they are uh, both fully mixed. Uh, that is the Mishnah, and the Gemara we went for a long time today, so we'll pick up, pick up on the, uh, the Gemara uh, tomorrow about what happened to the Adon. Baruch Adonai Adolam, Amen, Amen.